Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all-time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. Today is December 7th, 2021, and our first story, the U.S. and NATO on the brink of war. As Russia amasses tens of thousands of troops on the Ukrainian border and Ukraine threatens there will be bloodshed, a massacre and millions of refugees pouring into Europe. Biden got off a call with Putin to talk about potential sanctions, but it seems like nothing may happen. We don't know for sure. We've seen this kind of saber rattling before. In our next story, a BLM activist has been charged with a felony for trying to intimidate the judge in the Dante Wright trial. And in our last story, Jussie Smollett on the stand implicates CNN in providing privy information to assist Smollett in his criminal case. Very interesting as the scandal at CNN continues to escalate. Now, if you like the show, give us a good review, but most importantly, tell your friends about it. Podcasts spread by word of mouth, so your support is greatly needed and appreciated. Now, let's get into that first story. Fears of war are breaking out as Russia has continued to amass tens of thousands of troops near the border with Ukraine. As Ukraine has begun putting forces on their eastern front as well, there is a concern amongst many that there could be an invasion of Ukraine by Russia, as Vladimir Putin has long been said to want to recreate the Soviet Union. Unfortunately for him, they say that COVID has quashed those plans. But so much for that, because now we're seeing this troop build up. Now, recently, Joe Biden and Putin just got off a two hour meeting. Many people are saying Biden was threatening Vladimir Putin. We will cut you off from the international financial system if you go through with this, which would would only exacerbate any potential war. And Russia is no weakling. They've got nuclear weapons. They have a military. Now, they're certainly not the global superpower they were when they effectively were the Soviet Union. I mean, they lost all that power when the satellites and Soviet states broke apart. But Vladimir Putin wants that back. And we saw something similar. Now what? Almost 10 years ago with the annexation of Crimea territory, which many would argue is still part of Ukraine, but Russia basically goes in and then there's an election, quote unquote, and then the people of Crimea basically say, oh yeah, we want to be a part of Russia. And you know, it's interesting because some people have suggested 
I've spoken with some foreign correspondents that, yeah, a lot of people in Crimea do view themselves as Russian, but certainly Ukraine does not appreciate their sovereign territory being annexed by Russia. Now, will NATO forces retaliate? I got to be honest. I don't think so. A lot of people have hit me up and said, Tim, you got to talk about what's going on with, with the potential war between NATO forces and Russia. Things are bubbling up. It could get crazy out there and probably won't. I think we have a greater risk of war with China, to be completely honest. It was only a few months ago that Chinese warships were sailing just off the coast of Hawaii and Alaska, basically saying to the U.S., if you want to send warships into our South China Sea, so they say, then we'll do the same to you. If you want to argue that this is international waters, we will do the same to you. Now, of course, just off the coast of Hawaii, is international waters. So it's just kind of, you know, you got that annoying kid in school who's like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. He's like putting his hand near you. Yeah, we get it. Okay. You are in international waters. It's still quite annoying. But China's argument is this territory is ours and you're directly sailing into it. Now, the segment that I'm producing here isn't so much about what's going on with China, though. It's the fear of war with Russia. Over the past several years, there has been an escalation in tensions pertaining to, I don't know, oil pipelines and oil monopolies. Uh, for instance, Russia has a very strong control over natural gas into the European Union through their Gazprom oil. Uh, I'm sorry, Gazprom uh, gas monopoly. And this ties all into the Burisma scandal, Joe Biden, quid pro quo. Cutter Turkey pipeline, Syria. These issues kind of got put on the sideline when Donald Trump was in office because I don't think he cared that much about the foreign energy capture that uh, the Western forces were concerned with. Trump just wanted to bring energy independence to America. But now that we've got the, well, the uh, Biden administration, which is effectively an offshoot of the Obama administration, it's back to the plan, which could include war on Ukraine's eastern front. You see, interestingly, there was a big conflict in eastern Ukraine, and I was actually down there in I was in Kiev when all of this started going down with the Euromaidan movement, which led to the ousting of Yanukovych and the well, the exile. I, I believe he fled to Russia. And so everything was getting crazy. And there was a real fear of a Ukrainian civil war, because the question is, will Ukraine join NATO or the Russian Federation with Vladimir Putin's attempt to rebuild the Soviet Union? And it looks like NATO is winning. Russia, in turn, is now going to start amassing forces on their Western front and the Eastern front with, uh, in, in Ukraine, which is leading Joe Biden to make a bunch of threats. He probably can't back up because I don't think anybody believes Joe Biden's threats have any merit. We all saw what happened in Afghanistan. And one of the reasons I think Vladimir Putin may be saying, line up the troops, it's time to take Ukraine, is because he knows it's now or never. Joe Biden is too weak to do anything about it, so things may get spicy. But I got to say, I got that uh, normalcy bias, that optimism bias. It's not going to happen. We're not in that era, but we'll see. Let's read the news. We've got a bunch of stories breaking down what's going on with the images of Russian forces amassing on the Ukraine border, leaving the U.S. and NATO worried. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com and become a member if you want to support these videos, my work, and our staff of journalists. We write the news, man. We write stories that we think are important, and the only reason it's happening is because you guys signed up as members. That's it. That is our business plan. We're not going after clicks like BuzzFeed. We're not going to chase any audience narrative like they did with ABC. I reject that premise. What I say is, you want to be a member? Thank you. Your efforts as a member will help support journalists 
who have the freedom to write what they think is important. Of course, we have editorial guidelines, we have editorial staff, but I'm not telling them what to write. I'm telling them what I think is interesting, but I don't dictate, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put in an article in our Slack and be like, hey, did you guys see this? That's about it. 99.9% of all the stories are just our writers finding things and writing about them because they think it's important. We also have an editor in chief and executive editor who give out ideas and, and, and assignments as well, but editorially independent. We are not going to chase audiences or chase clicks. We're going to chase good journalism, good fact checking, and we're going to ask you to help back it up as a member. And if and, and we'll grow to the point where we can. And so long as you guys keep signing up and supporting our work, we're going to keep hiring more journalists. Fact checkers are next. So thank you support for supporting our work. You'll also get access to our members only segments. But don't forget to, to like this video, subscribe to this channel, share this show with your friends. If you want them to know what's going on with this, let's break down a ton of news as to the motivations of Vladimir Putin and what's currently happening. From Business Insider, they report, Satellite images show the buildup of Russian forces near Ukraine that have the U.S. and NATO worried about an invasion. New satellite photos show the buildup of Russian armed forces at the strategic locations in western Russia near the Ukrainian border and at one spot in Crimea amid concerns that Russia will invade its neighbor in the near future. The images, which Insider obtained from Maxar Technologies, shows a number of Russian tactical battle groups, including both personnel and equipment such as tanks, artillery, and armored troop carriers deployed to the Paganovo training area and Yelnya in Russia and Novozernoya in Crimea in November. After snap drills in the spring near Ukraine triggered a few alarms, tensions de-escalated for a time. But alarm bells began ringing again when a significant number of Russian troops were observed gathering a couple hundred miles from Ukraine's border early last month. Amid a flurry of reports on the Russian troop buildup, State Department and Pentagon, Pentagon officials publicly characterized Russian activity as unusual and expressed some concern over Russia's lack of transparency about the reasons for the troop increase. Toward the end of November, Bloomberg reported that the U.S. had shared concerns about the possibility of an invasion, as well as intelligence indicating that Russia is positioning forces for a possible multi-directional push into Ukraine with allies and partners in Europe. Quote, I would not downplay this. Jeffrey Edmonds, a former CIA military analyst and Russia expert at CNA, told Insider at the time, the troop buildup is pretty significant. I think you always have to assume it's a real possibility. Jim Townsend, a former Pentagon and NATO official and security expert at the Center for New American Security, said. And in a podcast discussion last month, Michael Kaufman, the research program director for the Russian studies program at CNA, said he doesn't think there is going to be a Russian military operation in the coming days and weeks, but added that he is very worried looking into the coming months and toward this winter. Now, personally, it looks like the staging is for a reason. Like I said, we saw something similar before they annexed uh, Crimea. I doubt Russia is spending all this money for no reason just to posture. They're planning something. And I would say it may not happen soon, but I think it'll happen soon enough. Joe Biden has proven himself to be incapable, in my opinion. His disapproval ratings are through the roof. And there's no way Mr. Trunin on a shop at a pressure bad calf care. Those are gibberish statements, he said, is going to be able to handle Vladimir Putin. I mean, Putin is a rough dude and he's got a plan. And I think he knows Biden ain't going to do nothing about it. Now, if Trump were to get into office again, that'd be bad news for Putin because Trump is a hothead. Trump would Trump actually gave weapons to the Ukrainians. 
So Vladimir Putin would have to make a move before 2024 if Trump were to be president. Now, the key time to act for Putin may be in any potential transition of power. So if something happens to Joe Biden, we already saw a temporary transfer to Kamala Harris while he was undergoing a medical procedure, as it were. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S.? With more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S., they have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code POOL. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Vladimir Putin will absolutely wait until the time is right. So who knows when? Insider says Biden administration officials revealed late last week that U.S. intelligence indicates Russia could invade early next year with a force as large as 175,000 troops, according to multiple reports. One official said that the Russian plans call for a military offense against Ukraine as soon as early 2022, with a scale of forces twice what we saw this past spring during Russia's rapid military buildup near Ukraine's borders. The plans involve extensive movement of 100 battalion tactical groups with an estimated 175,000 personnel, along with armor, artillery and equipment. The administration official said, further explaining that the U.S. estimates half of these units are already near Ukraine's border, though Russia has denied having plans to invade. The buildup comes as Russia has expressed frustration with what he considers to be uh, he, he I think they mean Putin a lack of respect for Russia's red lines. NATO activity, Ukraine's pro-Western leanings and political obstacles in Ukraine running contrary to Russian interests. Quote, I don't accept anybody's red lines, President Joe Biden told reporters Friday, adding that the U.S. would probably need to have a lengthy discussion with Putin about Russian activities. The White House announced over the weekend that two leaders will talk Tuesday, and they did. And we have that update. From justthenews.com, Biden and Putin conclude roughly two-hour video call over possible Russia invasion on Ukraine. Just the News reports, President Biden met Tuesday for about two hours with Russian leader Vladimir Putin in a video call in which the president was expected to seek a diplomatic solution for Russia assembling tens of thousands of troops near the Ukraine border for a possible invasion, but also tell Putin the U.S. is ready to impose austere sanctions. I'm sure Putin cares. Joe Biden already allowed them to to move forward on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is through, um, I'm forgetting the name of the sea, but north northern Europe from Russia into Europe. That says right there that Joe Biden is weak. The sanctions are meaningless. And if Vladimir Putin wants to invade Ukraine and rebuild his Soviet dream, you think he's going to care about your financial restrictions? If he's been planning this, he's been planning this, which means your sanctions will be the least of his worries. 
The call went from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Washington, D.C. time. There, ha- there have been uh, there have no official there is no official information released about the call. Biden could have vowed to cut Russia off from international financial systems, the SWIFT payment network, according to The New York Times. Putin was expected to demand guarantees from Biden. The NATO military alliance would never exp- expand to include Ukraine, which has long sought membership, according to the AP. Quote, we've consulted significantly with our allies and believe we have a path forward that would impose significant and severe harm on the Russian economy. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Monday, you can, you can call that a threat. You can call that a fact. U.S. intelligence officials have determined that Russia has amassed 70,000 troops near the Ukraine border and has made preparations for a possible invasion early next year. Now, this could all be it could be posturing on the part of Russia. They believe that NATO will induct Ukraine. And if they do, that's a very serious threat to Russia. That means Ukraine on the border with Russia would start building up NATO forces. So Russia is setting up their forces. Why? This could be in the event that NATO moves into Ukraine, and they may have already, I'm not entirely sure, then Russia simply says, we're going to move in and secure our Western front before NATO can get a foothold. Otherwise, the pressure will be on Russia. Ukraine's defense ministry alleged that Russia is holding training camps under the leadership of regular servicemen of the Russian armed forces. The Kremlin hasn't commented on the allegations. A lot of speculations about what's happening. We got this think piece from NBC News, why Russia could be trying to invade Ukraine and how Biden could stop it. For Putin, a toxic confluence of domestic pressures and international opportunities is shaping an outcome that could be catastrophic. The fuse that for decades has been linked to the perennial European powder keg of Ukraine is growing ever shorter. Russian troops are as they did seven years ago before the Crimea invasion, massing in force along the border. So this we all know. We know there's going to be a phone call. They say, for one thing, Putin very much needs a distraction right now. COVID-19 has devastated his country with the virus's death toll for October setting records, records, according to official figures. At the same time, inflation rates at more than 8% have sapped buying power and raised lending rates beyond leaving the country restless and grumbling. Beyond that, Putin most likely sees a big geopolitical opportunity. Many of his perpetual foes are tottering. Germany's longtime Iron Chancellor Angela Merkel, whom Putin seems to have both feared and respected, has given way to a new untested liberal successor atop a fragile coalition in Berlin. Over the last five years, Donald Trump and now Joe Biden have run roughshod over NATO's vaunted unity. Trump blatantly criticized NATO's refusal to, to shoulder more of financial burdens. Biden, while openly endorsing its democratic principles, undermined NATO with his unilateral decision to withdraw from Afghanistan and then blatantly undercut France in a submarine deal with Australia and Britain. My personal feeling is that much of this has left Putin questioning whether Biden is capable of reacting effectively or of mustering allies effectively in the event that Russia does try something. It is beyond that, good sir, NBC, who wrote this. David A. Uh, Andelman, it's beyond that. Come on, let's be real. Just come out and say it. Putin watches the same videos we do of sputtering, mumbling Joe Biden reading a teleprompter, and it's fooling no one. Sure, there are a lot of people in America who have plugged their ears and closed their eyes and said everything is fine with Joe Biden, but they know, we know, we know they know, and they know, we know they know. Joe Biden is not with it. He does not have the capabilities to stand up and effectively lead right now. And you think Kamala Harris does? No, she doesn't. Putin has a dream, the Soviet Union. He remembers those glory days and he knows now's his chance. Let's go back in time a little bit. 28th of March, 2014, from the BBC, 
Vladimir Putin, the rebuilding of Soviet Russia. What could have put this on hold? Could it have been that in 2014, with the spark of the Ukrainian crisis, Vladimir Putin was very much dead set on rebuilding the Russian, we'll just call it the Russian Union, rebuilding something. I don't want to say, you know, we say Soviet Russia because we're putting allusions to the large union that existed. But Putin just wants to bring back a large, powerful European Asian force. Donald Trump gets in and Donald Trump is sporadic and ill-tempered, to say the least. And all of a sudden, things uh, kind of slowed a bit. Not completely. You know, Trump fired missiles into Syria, but we saw a lot of this kind of on the back burner. Could it be that Vladimir Putin was sitting back going, oh, Donald Trump, this guy will press the button. He will. Everybody was worried. All these foreign adversaries were like, this guy's insane. He could press the button, you know, the nukes at any moment. Check this out. The BBC reported in 2014, they say the world was stunned when Russia invaded Crimea. But should it have been? Author and journalist Oliver Burlow says President Vladimir Putin never kept secret his intention to restore Russian power. What's less clear, he says, is how long the country's rise can continue. The rebuilding of Soviet Russia was something I long heard about. You know, when I was on the ground there, when I was talking with foreign correspondents and individuals in Ukraine, they were saying, look, Putin wants he wants a, there is a Russian trade federation, but he wants something bigger, more powerful. And who wouldn't? People are driven to power. Not everybody, but these these leaders. Take a look at this from Newsweek in 2017. Putin wants to rebuild Soviet Union, former head of British Army warns. We could all see this coming. Did the U.S., NATO, the West prepare for what we are seeing now with Vladimir Putin? Newsweek wrote in 2017, Russian President Vladimir Putin essentially wants to rebuild the Soviet Union and restore Russia as a major power in the world. General Sir Mike Jackson, former head of the British Army, warned Thursday, quote, I always like to remind people regarding Vladimir Putin that he said publicly that the worst thing, the worst thing, let me underline that, that happened in the 20th century, worse than two world wars, worse than the Holocaust, worse than the Great Depression, the worst thing was the fall of the Soviet Union. It tells you quite a lot, I think, about Putin, because he sees modern Russia as the inheritor of the great power status, which the Soviet Union used to have. And I think he's trying to rebuild that. It's a theme which is there to to rebuild modern Russia as a major power in the world, as the Soviet Union was in his view. Jackson added of the former KGB officer turned world leader. And, and, and funny enough, they show this image of Trump and Putin together. My opinion is that Trump forced Putin to hold back. I don't think Trump was working with Russia in any capacity. I think the evidence shows that. It certainly shows that there have been tons of international whatever between tons of people, but nothing concrete. Noise, as it were. Now, we know the Democrats did, you know, the Steele dossier, and I don't want to get into all that stuff, but they did work with some Russians. In the article, they say Jackson seemed to be referencing an address Putin delivered in 2005 to the nation's top politicians in parliament, in which he said, above all, we should acknowledge that the collapse of the Soviet Union was a major geopolitical disaster of the century. As for the Russian nation, it became a genuine drama. Tens of millions of our co-citizens and co-patriots found themselves outside Russian territory. Moreover, the epidemic of the disintegration infected Russia itself. Interesting, to say the least. And then we have this story from April 28th, 2020. 
Coronavirus crisis spells doom for Putin's dreams of rebuilding the Soviet empire from the Atlantic Council. Yeah, you guys might know them. Not not to say I'm a big fan, but they're certainly of the opinion, at least in this article by Solomia Bobrovska, that Vladimir Putin wants to rebuild the Soviet Union, but he is being held back. Now, can it happen? Yeah, I think so, especially with someone as weak as Joe Biden. The Daily Mail says Ukraine warns of a bloody massacre and five million refugees fleeing into Europe if Russia invades. As Kremlin says, escalating tensions are off the scale. Ukraine's defense minister, Oleski Reznikov, said there would be a bloody massacre if Russia invaded Kiev. And yeah, no fool. And that's true. U.S. President Joe Biden will call Putin. They did. Satellite images have revealed huge new camps of Russian troops. Kiev accused Russia of deploying tanks and additional snipers to the front line amid warnings Russia to invade. The New York Times, what's driving Putin's Ukraine brinksmanship? There are tactical reasons for threatening an invasion, but the real cause may lie in the Kremlin's fixation with writing what it sees as historical injustice. This right here from December 5th, a modern retelling. Vladimir Putin is outraged the Soviet Union collapsed. I bet he mourned. I mean, he was a former he's a former KGB guy. He was very much all on board for the Soviets. And he felt that pain when the Soviet Union collapsed. What year was it? 91, was it? I believe it was 91. We were talking about this last night. I was in kindergarten or first grade, I think. Let's see. I, that would put me in probably kindergarten, I think, um, when the Soviet Union fell. I, I don't have any real strong memories of exactly what happened. I vaguely remember sitting in my basement and the news was on or something to that effect, but it's ba- basically a baby beyond my years. But you guys know Luke Rutkowski, one of the co-hosts, a frequent guest, I should say more appropriately, uh, on Timcast IRL. He was born in Poland during the, the, the Soviet, in the Soviet uh, era. Poland was a satellite state of the Soviet Union, very much under their control. His parents fled to get away from all that stuff. This is not beyond our years as millennials. And now as I, I'm, I'm 35, I'm going to be 36 in four months. Four months today, I'll be 36 years old. We are inheriting, inheriting this world and staring down the barrel of possible wars. And our parents were in that world watching that news of the Cold War and the Soviet Union. And it's only been the past few decades that we have had this kind of peace. Yeah, people don't get it, man. A hundred years ago, World War One. Well, I think at that point, I think what was the armistice? It was like, you know, 1919 or something. I can't remember. A 20 year armistice. Maybe, maybe I'm going to get my years way off. I got to read more history. A 20 year armistice, they called it, because then sure enough, World War Two. War. War is the, is the more natural state of the world, as horrifying as that sounds. And it's only because we in the United States and, and, and you know, we younger generations didn't experience it that we think the world and we think no war is actually the, 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 the natural state. It's not true. The U.S. especially has always been in some kind of war. But I mean like real war. I mean like international conflict, sabotage. We're very much still involved in low tier, low scale information war and espionage and cyber attacks and things like that. Fourth and fifth generational warfare for sure. But hot war. Just uh, kinetic warfare. That's how the world's always been. Because people fight and compete for resources. And the scary thing is that is that if we do have a large scale war, it says in the fourth turning, 
If you're familiar with Strassau generational theory, that every war is fought with the most powerful weapons. I think social media may be one of the most powerful weapons today because it allows you to control the population without lifting a finger or firing a bullet. But let's be real. Nuclear weapons and hypersonic weapons. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKSeedKits.com. Promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing arcseedkits.com very powerful and the scary thing about everything is that offense has has escalated to such a degree that there is no defense so the, the there was something called i believe it was the strategic defense initiative we not we wanted some kind of weapon system rockets and potentially lasers to take out intercontinental ballistic missiles should they be fired and headed towards the US we have some things like thad in the koreas and we have the iron dome in israel these are weapons defense system rockets that fire up in the air and blow up incoming rockets crazy, brilliant systems. But with hypersonic technologies, these new weapons can easily bypass these defense initiatives, in which case you see, you ain't seen nothing. You look back to the photos or the images of, of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you ain't seen nothing. The multiple independently targeted re-entry vehicle, which has been around as long as I can remember since I've been a kid, can fire one ICBM with up to 12 warheads peppering the entire eastern seaboard with nuclear warheads. These ICBMs have 1,250 times the power of the bombs that were used in World War II. It ain't no joke. So we want to avoid any kind of warfare because, heaven forbid, we actually re-enter some kind of Cold War. We're already in one with China, and this spells bad news. But this is why there are a lot of global elites who want to create strong international business ties, ties even if it means sacrificing our values and ponying up and bending the knee to places like to, to groups like the Chinese Communist Party, because they're like, it is better that we live in an awful world than we all die in a blaze of nuclear hellfire. But I don't know, man. I just don't know. Is it really living to live under an authoritarian boot to stand by and compromise your values as the Soviets try to regain power of Vladimir Putin? Not so much. Well, a lot of people are saying no. We have this story from Newsweek. Newsweek, Russia fighter intercepts UK, UK aircraft of the Black Sea. This is from just last month. And these stories we see a lot. The tensions escalating between Western forces and Russia. But here we go. This is an old story. Uh, this is a story from April. We've seen this give and take, right? Russia to withdraw troops from Ukraine border Crimea. The buildup has raised alarms. We know that they've done this before and then they've bring, brought the troops back. The Guardian reports. Prepare a swift response to Russia invading Ukraine, Latvia tells West. NATO not sending a clear signal would mean glue that keeps us together has failed, says Foreign Minister. 
Latvia is certainly saying ain't no thing. We got this. U.S. will push Germany to agree to stop the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline if Putin invades Ukraine, sources say. And then we have American bombers. I'm sorry, this is an older story. This is from March. This is the wrong one. But we have this another story of, of clashes. American bombers blaze towards Russia in provocative show of force. This is this, this actually uh, these few stories that I've shown in the uh, just here uh, may actually be good news. It shows that there's a lot of posturing. The Russians have brought their troops up here before. They've pulled them back. Seems to be a bit of a distraction, maybe saber rattling. And I certainly hope so. Because we don't want to see what uh, what could be. The Hill writes today, the U.S. can't deter a Russian invasion of Ukraine and shouldn't even try. That means the rise Uh, the return of this Russian uh, superpower, if they get control of Ukraine, if they start moving in unimpeded. But I think the Hill is right, maybe for different reasons. I don't think the U.S. can deter the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Joe Biden doesn't have the wherewithal to plan effectively, nor does Mark Milley or any of the other leaders currently serving in the Biden administration. Trump, maybe. And that's only a maybe. The Hill says, the first rule of international relations, the strong do what they will and the weak suffer what they must. The second rule is that most of the time, not even the superpowers can change the first rule. Unfortunately, advocates of a strong U.S. security commitment to Ukraine seem not to understand these rules. They believe instead that Washington can somehow prevent strong Russia from doing what it will with weak Ukraine. But this is a fantasy. The harsh reality is that Washington can't deter a Russian invasion of Ukraine and shouldn't even try. It's a scary prospect. I got friends from Ukraine. Some of them have fled and they're no longer there. It's a harsh place to be. I like the country. The food's good. Yeah, a lot of cabbage, to be honest. It was like cabbage and beef. And they didn't know the difference between uh, yogurt and sour cream, which is really weird when I was ordering food and I was like, hey, can I get some sour cream? And they were like, sure. And it was yogurt. And they were like, what's the difference? And I'm like, yo, there's a big difference between yogurt and sour cream, at least here in the United States. But Ukraine was great. I was there in uh, uh, late 2013, early 2014 with the Ukraine Euromaidan stuff. And that was what was kicking this all off. And we knew back then it was NATO versus Russia. It was obvious. It wasn't some organic protest movement. It was who wants to be a part of Russia? Who wants to be a part of NATO? There are many in Ukraine who fear what it means to rejoin Russia. It means that it'll be very much like it was during the Soviet years with the Holodomor. And that's a nightmare to a lot of people. I actually met a Soviet general, Ukrainian, who was opposing what Russia was trying to do. Many of these people wanted to join NATO for the protection. But Vladimir Putin won't allow that. He annexes Crimea. He amasses troops. And he basically says, you are not going to induct Ukraine. This war is far from over. At the very least, what this says to me is that Putin does believe he will succeed in reforming some kind of Soviet Union. I say some kind of because it won't be called that. Who knows what it'll be? But I feel like Vladimir Putin refusing to let NATO take Ukraine is him saying, no, 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 no. There will be war and we will fight and we will not let you take this piece of the puzzle from us. I think it's bad news if the Soviet Union gains that much power. Or I should say Russia rebuilds the Soviet Union and then they amass that much power. I wasn't uh, um, old enough, mature enough to understand what was going on during the Cold War. I was a little kid, but our parents lived it. It has only been a few decades of this kind of peace. Now we have the tensions with China. 
these international elitists, they genuinely believe that if we do all these trade deals, there will be no more war. And that's just stupid because we have different cultural beliefs and religious beliefs. And this means people will be on edge. If if the U.S. can't even get along with itself with the culture war, what makes you think the culture clash between, say, Russia and the U.S. would not be worse? But we'll see. Pray that we get some strong leadership before anything breaks down. But we are we're we're trapped in this. It's funny. They say that, you know, Putin helped Trump win. If anything, Putin would have wanted Biden to win because Trump was a uh, Trump was aggressive and Biden is weak. And now is the time that Putin has to move in. That scares me. We'll see how this plays out. I really don't know. Next segment's coming up at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast IRL. Come hang out live. Steve Bannon will be joining us. A lot to talk about. Thanks for hanging out. And we'll see you all then. We have more information on the BLM activist who was arrested for intimidating the judge in the Dante Wright case. And as it turns out, he actually was arrested for intimidation of the judge in the Dante Wright case. So when the story first came out, we didn't know exactly what had happened to this guy, Cortez Rice. We knew that he live streamed himself going into an apartment complex, claiming this was the judge's house. And now we have more details because he's actually being charged with harassment. But this story goes well beyond just this one incident. This is about your new normal. Because as I'm reading this, I started thinking about what life is like currently. I started thinking about what life was like in Los Angeles when I lived there. Oh, so many years ago. And I'm like, man, we're in the new normal. And you may not like it. Or maybe you're insulated from it. Maybe you're in the middle of nowhere. I moved mostly to the middle of nowhere. And you're not seeing it. But this is a new normal. Rampant crime murderers, violent criminals, violent offenders being released onto the streets to repeat offend. In the West Coast, they're just ransacking and looting stores and it's getting worse. There's, I, I don't even know, this is not even necessarily related to this, but Europe's got assisted suicide pods. And I'm just like, with the lockdowns, with the crime, with the jury intimidation, man, the world has changed dramatically in two years. Isn't it crazy? I mean, thinking about what's going on with these trials, these court cases from Jussie Smollett to Kyle Rittenhouse to Dante Wright to Ahmed Arbery, all of these cases. And I'm just thinking this was this is not how things used to be only a few years ago. And what I mean by that is in, in these uh, political violent moments in these trials, everything is just reality TV. Everything is PR media. That's it. Now, as for what's happening in California, this just shows you what happens when there's decay. There is a story we have about a San Francisco restaurant that refused to serve two police officers. So in the midst of mass looting and robberies, rampant crime and human waste in the streets in California, restaurants, these people actually are on the side of chaos. Makes you wonder. You know, Jordan Peterson talks about ordering chaos and boy, did they hate him. But there is something really interesting to be said about what's going on. And I think the easiest way to explain it is the the rise in chaos. And I've often referred to the woke left as a chaotic, destructive force. It is like a fire burning through the, the, the forest. It's not seeking an end goal. It's just consuming, burning and destroying. That's what I see happening to our culture, our society. And what I mean by that is I mean globally. 
for the most part. I mean, it's in Europe. It's somewhat in Asia. But, for the, you know, I think when it comes to Asia, you have China's iron fist. So they much they have, they have the opposite end of this. It's going way in, in, the, in the direction of order to an extreme degree. That's really bad. And then in the West, in Europe, in the United States, in Canada, we are seeing chaos. Now, some may argue it's order, the authoritarianism from the government. But no, no, it's chaos. When they release prisoners from their jail, when they uh, when they release uh, suspects and convicts from their jails, like in New York, but then put people, small business owners in them, we are living in bizarro world. Think of a society. What does it mean when they will release criminals during a pandemic and then arrest salon owners and put them in jail? It's like it's like backwards world. It's like opposite town. Here's a story. Let's read because we're going to get into the nitty gritty of, of the collapse, the chaos or whatever, because it's not just what's going on with Black Lives Matter, but it's it's a systemic thing, right? From the Daily Mail, quote, waiting for the gang to get up here. BLM protester is charged with harassment after he live streamed himself walking up to the apartment door of Asian judge trying Kim Potter to protest her refusal to allow cameras in court. Well, I think cameras should be allowed in court, but this is something else. They say Cortez Rice, 32, was arrested on November 29th, and the charge is unsealed on December 3rd. He is charged with tampering with a judicial officer. This is not just harassment, a felony charge. Rice on November 6th staged a protest outside what he believed to be the house of Judge Regina Chu, who had initially ruled that cameras would not be allowed in her courtroom for Potter's trial. Rice live streamed himself inside the building saying, we are on her heels. The video is posted on YouTube and is now deleted, but copies are circulating online. What she think? We want cameras. The people deserve to know, Rice says, inside the empty corridor. Now, this is the guy who was also on video saying something to the effect that we know who Kyle Rittenhouse jurors are. We got cameras. We know who it is. Jury tampering. And it was surprising to me that this guy wasn't charged then. Rice then stood outside an apartment door and said, I don't know if this is her crib. I think this is her crib right here. We got confirmation that this is her house right here waiting for the gang to get up here. He was later heard saying on his live stream, we are here for one person in particular. He yelled her name and said, we demand transparency. We'd hate you to get kicked out of your apartment. Man, that's bold. I mean, things like this have happened in the past. But my concern is, and the reason I bring this up in the context of everything else is, sure is happening a lot and all at once. It's like we're getting ready for the crescendo, the big bang of the symbols, and it all just and then goes spiraling down. Or maybe the crescendo already hit, and that was the election of Donald Trump, and now it's just chaos begetting chaos. Police interviewed Chu, who said she believed the intention of Rice and the others was to intimidate her and to interfere with with the judicial process, the complaint read. It was unclear whether Chu lived there. A man who lives at the unit told the Minnesota Star Tribune that he purchased it from Chu, and she no longer lives there. So this dude is just harassing random people. However, in her order clearing the trial for broadcast, the judge said the protest was staged at the presiding judge's home. Interesting. So maybe she switched units or something like that. Cortez last month denied trying to scare the judge. I don't know why people are saying I was there to intimidate her or anything because that wasn't the case. I just made a live video on it and I was just there to make sure she can hear us. Yeah. What does that mean? She can hear us. We know where you live. Rice had previously met Cortez, uh, met Cortez, showing uh, showing leniency on October 4th when he was before her in court for a probation violation stemming from a conviction in 2017 for illegal weapons possession. At that hearing, she chose to continue his probation rather than send send him to prison. And then they go on to just mention Kim Potter and the trial and everything that she's doing. 
And we'll see what happens, right? We do have an update from uh, legal insurrection here, Andrew Branca. We have uh, uh, the jurors who are in the case. 11 jurors are white, two are Asian, one is black, evenly split between men and women. The trial begins Wednesday, December 8th, and it will be covered live on legal insurrection uh, from Andrew Branca. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But I certainly think it's fair to point out that when it comes to all of these trials from Rittenhouse to Arbery, the threat is clear. Everybody knows it. Black Lives Matter knows they will find out who you are. They will stalk you. They will come for the jury. They will come for the judges. This is your new normal. Order is broken. And you know, I'm going to bring it up again. There may have been an interesting legal question as to what happened in the Ahmed Arbery case. And that's it could be up for appeal. So it's not the same as what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. But I can't believe there's so many conservatives cheering for the verdict in the Ahmed Arbery case, because at the very least, this was muddy. Now, the left will lie and say a man was jogging and and these racists lynched him when the real story is neighborhood plagued by felony robberies and or burglaries. And the police believed that this guy was a suspect and some local residents tried to stop him so that the police could come and, and question or detain him. And then the fight broke out and the suspect was shot and killed. And the guy Arbery didn't live there. I mean, it's a complicated story. But so long as you get conservatives willing to cheer for that, they are they are cheering for the flames that are burning down everything else. Because the very least, I will say this, that case is not clear cut. And I actually would say outside of the letter of the law on the citizen's arrest, it seems like these dudes were trying to stop a guy who may have stolen a gun, who was burglarizing homes. And so what? What do we do when you have someone who doesn't live in your neighborhood? It's not about race. Someone who doesn't live there, repeatedly coming after a string of burglaries. Don't bother even trying to confront or stop him or even ask him any questions, because if he attacks you, then you committed an illegal citizen's arrest, and thus you are going to prison for the rest of your life. And not only that, the guy who filmed it, him too. This This is chaos. It's chaos. From the Daily Mail, Portland police tell woke cities crime victims they're on their own. Residents warned of delayed responses to all but the most serious 911 calls due to spiraling crime and staff shortages amid record-breaking murder rate. I have told you this before. I think Jesse Kelly was tweeting it earlier. These people have said, since I met them at Occupy Wall Street, from the ashes of the old, we shall build anew. You know what? You know what show you should check out? The Order. It's like a college drama with magic and wizards and werewolves. And it's not the greatest show. It's all right. I I watched it. I enjoyed it. Um, But you're going to love this. As much as we all like to complain about this woke TV shows. Oh, you know, Brie Larson. Everyone complained about her. The Order, spoiler alert, in the second season, the villains are communists. I loved it. I was like, hey, finally, we're getting something on the other end of this. Like, you know, whenever they make a movie or a TV show like Harry Potter, it's always an allusion to fascism or Nazis. I'm like, we get it. Those things are bad. But like, what about the communists, yo? So they literally have a villain who's a communist and they literally say like the plot. Great. I'm glad they made a show like this. The bad guy in the second season, one of them knows that the improper use of magic will result in chaotic eruptions the spreading of chaos, quite literally referred to as chaos. Man, whoever wrote this much must listen to Jordan Peterson. And the response from the communist is that fire from the ashes, we will build anew or something to that effect. And I'm like, whoa, the people who write that show watch Jordan Peterson or listen to what I've been talking about for the past 10 years. Great to see it. But that's the point. 
That is literally what we are seeing. There are elements of extremist factions. They fan the flames of chaos. They want the system to burn. Because once you burn it all to the ground, then you can build something different with a different perspective or a different framework. They do not like the Judeo-Christian moral frameworks, which I happen to think are pretty good. Not like, you know, uh, Mosaic or law or, or Sharia law or anything like that. No, I mean, like, at current, we have kept a lot of great ideas that have resulted, you know, from these, these moral frameworks. And we've gotten rid of a lot of the really bad ones. We've reformed, and it's, and it's pretty good. But the woke left has no real moral framework other than the, there's, there's no truth but power. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that concept because that's not true. There is truth. There is objective reality. There is still, to a certain extent, an individual subjective morality, but there are some things we all hold to be true. And, you know, it's hard to map these things. There's great philosophical questions here. But what the woke left has done is, it, is they've exploited philosophical quandary and conundrum to manipulate people into believing stupid things like there is no objective reality or that men and women don't exist. They've, they've actually done this. Or two plus two actually equals five. It doesn't. But this is the game they play. And now here's what's fascinating. You've got this story out of Portland. and We've got this story out of, uh, out of San Francisco. Look at this from the New York Post. How looting turned the most upscale part of San Francisco into a ghost town. Isn't that the point for the communists? For the extremists, for the far left that want to burn down everything. There's this viral tweet. This woman, she was like, today was my last day as a non-union employee. Now, my next day, I will be entering, you know, Starbucks as the first unionized worker. And I'm like, that's cool. You know, like I got like, I'm not a big fan of unions because of the laws around them, but I'm a big fan of collective bargaining. So it's a double edged sword in that regard. But the woman's uh, bio said the working class and the owning class have nothing in common. And I'm like, man, that just means too much. I, I see all these memes about how a landlord isn't a job. And I'm like, let me explain to you all that. Yes, it quite literally is. It's really annoying. And um, I, I, I think most people don't understand the amount of work that has to go into maintaining a property. They, they don't get it. They think just because someone owns property, they're not doing any work. And it's like, it's actually like the landlord is providing a service to the tenant. Now, there are questions about ownership and stuff like that. But a tenant can simply apply on a, a contract is formed. They pay a, a security deposit. They move in. They pay rent. And then guess what? That rent, for the most part, pays the mortgage for a lot of people. And the left complains about that. And they're like, oh, so you're getting all this money for free into your equity. And it's like, yeah. And the tenants have legal rights to not pay rent when certain things aren't, aren't being upkept. And the landlord doesn't have that privilege. If you own your home and your stove breaks, good luck. Find a stove. If you're a tenant and your stove breaks, you don't even have to pay rent anymore because the utilities have broken. Maybe not a stove. I think a stove, but like if a toilet breaks, no joke. You can withhold rent and be like, these must be fixed. And then the owner has to front those costs and cover those things for you. They got to deal with, uh, with, with a, lo a lot having to do with taxes in the city and, and regulations. And, then, and the tenants have it easy. They, they don't want to admit this stuff because they need a narrative. But I mean, you talk to a lot of people. I know people, um, you know, I have family members who legit said, I don't want to own. It's too much of a hassle. I want to be able to rent. However, I do think homeownership is very important for most people, especially millennials. I just think it's silly that you have this perspective among the left that unless you're doing things exactly the way they demand or they tell you, you're a leech or a parasite, when quite literally they are doing the same thing. They are leeches and they are parasites. So they turn the wealthy upscale area into a ghost town. I got to be honest, I'm not a fan of these areas. I don't like 
you know, this upscale overpriced garbage. I don't dress that way or whatever. I wear a button up that cost me like 30 bucks and a beanie. And I'm not even wearing the button up right now. I'm not a fan of the Hunger Games capital city people. I'm not a fan of the elites and the billionaires and the 1% and all that stuff. But I mean, there's challenges to how we solve for that. The left's idea is plague the areas, destroy them, and then build something new. It's happening in New York. It's happening in San Francisco. And you will not convince me it is not intentional. That is not to say that there is a cabal of individuals twirling their mustaches. But look at Bill de Blasio in New York City as he burns the city to the ground figuratively. And the rioters burn other cities to the ground quite literally, or at least to a certain degree, literally. Bill de Blasio, what does he do? He says, we're going to buy up these buildings for pennies on the dollar and convert it into public housing. From the ashes of the old, we shall build anew. Everything done by de Blasio is destroying property values, destroying industry in that city. And then when these people are forced to sell for pennies on the dollar, which is going to have a big impact in whoever's invested in that, and it's not just rich people, Bill de Blasio can come in and be like that building was $10 million you know, a month ago. And because of my policies, now it's only a million dollars or more realistically five or whatever. But then he can buy it up. And this is basically the plot of RoboCop or other movies. The wealthy elites destroy the neighborhood so they can buy it for cheap. It's been the same old story we've seen going back to the civil rights area with blockbusting. You know, blockbusting was it was when they would intentionally target a white suburb full of people who had racist fears. They'd buy a home. They'd move in a minority family, typically a black family, and use the fears of racism to drive down property values and buy up the homes for 20% off, then evict the black family, and then raise the prices back up. That is disgusting. And I don't, and outside of, you know, look, I look at what's going on with New York and San Francisco and Portland and what they're doing, and I don't see a big difference. It is not the same as blockbusting, but it is a form of it that they would intentionally destroy property values to destroy, destroy people's private property and their revenue, their equity, so they can come in and snatch it all up. They did it before. They'll do, they're doing it now, and they will do it again. They've just found a different way to do it. Oh, no, because of the pandemic, we're going to have to shut your business down. Now, then the business says, we can't, we can't afford to stay open, so we have to sell. And then along comes a spider saying, hey, you need to sell. <sighs> Sorry about the pandemic. What's it worth? Wow. It was worth half a million dollars. I'll give you 300. What are you going to do? Who are you going to sell to? I'll take it because it's worthless. And then they buy it for cheap and then give it a year or whatever when they start reopening things and the property value starts climbing back up. And that's how the game is played. And they, and they do it back and forth. I mean, before uh, what we started seeing at the beginning of the pandemic was wealthy people buying up cheap properties in rural areas. I mean, take a look at Montana and Wyoming and you'll be like, how is that so expensive? I, I take a look at, you know, the property value from, you know, the neighborhoods I lived in. There was a house. I was looking at my old, my old neighborhood in Chicago from where I grew up. I'm like, I wonder what these houses are going for. And, a, and like a year ago, 180K South Side of Chicago, 160K today, 350. And I'm just like, man, now you can argue that's technically good for a lot of the people who want to sell and move out. The point is they, they buy up these cheaper uh, properties when they're low, smash the system such a way that 
you know, uh, downtown properties, urban properties go down, suburban and rural properties go up. And now they own those properties. They sell them. They buy the city properties and they do it. They bounce themselves all the way up, always taking the advantage. That's the name of the game, baby. So look at this. San Francisco is a ghost town, right? We have this story from Citizen Free Press. It's actually a story from a local you know, news outlet, but I've got an aggregate here with some information. They say San Francisco restaurant refuses service to police. Apparently, they've issued an apology saying they made a mistake and it was unfortunate. This is interesting. It's the workers. The workers agree with the chaos and the destruction. You know what, man? It's hard because when, when sometimes you want to give baby their bottle, give baby their bottle, let them, there you go. These young people who are like, we want the system to burn. Okay, well, then you deserve the system you've asked for. And I want to see what these people do when they realize, where's my water? I have no food. They don't get it. Communists love to play this stupid game of like, the farmers should own the farm, right? They're like, the people working on the farm are the ones doing the labor and they should own it. And then, you know, we who believe in meritocracy and, and, and science, like literally the fact that some people have skills and some don't go, you cannot take the farmer, replace him with the farmhands. Because as much as the farmhand might understand how to like drive the tractor, they don't know how to maintain the resources and the system. Management is literally a function. Managerial power is a real thing. It takes a lot to build a system. You know, uh, there's a great there's a great TED talk on making a toaster from scratch. So I'll break it down for you. A guy tries to make a toaster from scratch himself. It was impossible. In the end, the abomination that he did build built uh, lasted only about 20 seconds. He turned it on, it heated up and then broke. Whereas you can go to a store and buy a toaster for 10 bucks, go to a thrift store and they got a whole stack of them for free. We could not make it on our own because of all of the different capabilities and, and systems in play that bring these resources together. And more importantly, legit, literally logistics, the managerial power, the individual who is tracking what's going on, writing it down and directing things in different directions. And then what happens to these communists is they say, you don't need those people. You work on the farm. You know how it works. And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of people being like, yeah, I don't know where this stuff goes or where it comes from. And then what happens? Everybody starves. We've seen it time and time again. These young people are too dumb to, to know this. They're too driven by emotion and greed. And I believe greed has, has, has overcome this country, is taking over greed and, and, and these vices. I'll tell you, man, it's literally the seven deadly sins, all of them. You've got young people who want fame and fortune. They want easy living. They want money, money for nothing and chicks for free. So they think, you know, they'll make an Instagram channel to do these things. They won't do any real hard work. They should just get to have it. So they vote for people who promise them all, all the world without having to do anything for it. We'll tax the rich. Don't worry. We'll raise the minimum wage. There's no need for you to worry about labor. In fact, how about this? Universal basic income, quite literally, will give you stuff for free. Yeah, that can't last forever. And ultimately, it's going to lead to everything breaking down. But my friends, this is the new normal. There's a, a viral story. This is what Jesse, Jesse, uh, Jesse Kelly was tweeting about. They let out this murderer guy, and then he goes and murders again, and then they let him out again, and then he murders again or something. And Jesse said, like, this is, I think it was Jesse Kelly. Maybe I'm wrong, but he was like, this is what they do, the communists. They release cr uh, criminals because it creates chaos, and it makes people worried and panic and then call for more draconian measures or something like that. It makes it easier for the extremists to take over because now they're going to be like, look at all the discontent. This is the fault of the system. It's not your fault. 
And then people will vote for the ideologues. They'll vote for the Bill de Blasio's who will burn the city to the ground. Well, we have a chance coming up and it's the primaries. Get out in the Republican primaries, vote out these establishment, you know, neocon types and these do nothing Republicans, bring in some populists who want to protect this country and its values. And then come 2022 midterms, you must vote. But don't forget to vote at the state level. Figure out who your state rep is. Figure out who your state senator is. Who's your governor? Uh, Figure out who your comptroller is. City council, all of that stuff. It matters. Local is important. and, and, And dare I say more important than a lot of the federal stuff. But you got to get out there and you got to get active now because now is the time. It's coming. Look at what's happening across the board from these trials where Black Lives Matter knows they can intimidate and they get away with it. And at the very least, if the individual doesn't, the deed is done. The movement itself is the cudgel. The one guy, Cortez, can jump to the judge's house and say these things. And she might be like, well, we, you know, we arrested the guy. But what about the rest of the BLM movement? I mean, she certainly must know. They all know who she is and where she lives. Same thing for all the jurors. We can't sustain this. But I don't know what we do because it seems like it's all just crumbling. Other than what I just said in getting out and getting active. Actually, I probably should say I, I know what we can do right now, which may help. And that's, you know, voting locally and voting out these Republican do-nothings. Otherwise, we sit back and we watch it all burn. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Jesse Smollett, currently on trial for his alleged hate crime hoax, testified the other day that CNN's Don Lemon gave him privied information as to what police were thinking directly interfering in a very serious political and cultural matter. Now, it's not the same as what Chris Cuomo did, but it is still pretty bad. Chris Cuomo, of course, got fired because he was secretly assisting his brother with a PR message pertaining to the harassment allegations. CNN said it is inappropriate for one of our personalities, quote unquote, journalists. They didn't use quotes, but I will to be basically offering up this advice to a major politician. Now, as it goes with Don Lemon, who now Jesse Smollett has testified under oath had given him private information as to what the CPD, Chicago police, had been thinking. Well, they're not related. And I don't know what obligations Don Lemon ha- does or doesn't have in terms of withholding or providing information, but he's certainly interfe- interfering with high profile stories that they are covering. So bad. But for Justice Millett, it gets interesting. I mean, we've got a bunch of news pertaining to his trial. We'll also talk about CNN and their scandals, because it turns out CNN knew, apparently Chris Cuomo is saying Jeff Zucker knew all about what was going on and is only reacting to negative press. And as for Jesse Smollett, entwining the two scandals together, as it were, he's testifying that they was just driving around smoking weed. And that was just, it's the Osendauer brothers are lying. But let's take a look at the CNN scandal first, because this is interesting. From TimCast.com, another CNN anchor, Don Lemon, interfering in legal issues. Lemon shared inside information with Jussie Smollett via text. CNN has been plagued with issues this week related to its top anchors interfering in criminal investigations related to notable and high profile individuals. The latest issue has arisen regarding the case of Jussie Smollett. Now, we know Jussie Smollett's being charged with six felony counts for the hoax. Smollett said, He had correspondence with CNN's Don Lemon during the early parts of the Chicago Police Department's investigation into an alleged hate crime attack against Smollett, a case for which Smollett is now on trial defending himself from allegations he staged the entire ordeal for the purpose of gaining attention. In his testimony, 
while on the stand in court Monday, Smollett said under oath that as the investigation was underway, he received a text from the network's Don Lemon. The text purportedly relayed information stating the CPD didn't believe Smollett's account of what happened. Lemon told his viewers on CNN, CNN at the time that Smollett's story was personal since they had been acquaintances and were in constant communication since the alleged attack. Lemon shared that Smollett, Smollett shared had, uh, what had happened to him. Lemon admitted the account raised lots of questions. Lemon went on to share that while Smollett is innocent until proven guilty, he would question the goodwill of a lot of people in the uh, a lot of people if the story turned out to be untrue. At the time, CNN has not responded to any request for comments. I'm not here to play games. This is not the Cuomo scandal. It is not the exact same thing. It is relatively different, but still, in my opinion, it's inappropriate. That being said, if Smollett and Lemon know each other and they regularly communicate, what am I supposed to say? I mean, Don Lemon could have just been like, look, I know this guy, so I'm not going to be commenting on this to a great degree. It would be inappropriate. And that's kind of what he did for all the things to criticize CNN Lemon for. eh, This one is like mild to moderate in terms of inappropriate. Should Lemon be fired? Uh, I I think Don Lemon should be fired um, because of the assault against the guy he's being sued for. Listen, Chris Cuomo was also accused of harassment decades ago or a decade plus ago. And I don't know, you're going to judge someone based off the worst thing they've ever been accused of, innocent until proven guilty. But Chris Cuomo, easy to say he should be fired because, you know, this guy faked being in quarantine. Uh, uh, He goes on to say that Jeff Zucker knew about it. I think we have this one right here. Chris Cuomo claims CNN boss Jeff Zucker knew about involvement in government scandal. So you got it all the way up, all the way up the tree, right? Now, the thing is with Don Lemon is he is currently being sued for assault. Uh, He did some stuff that's not too family friendly at a bar. And this guy was uh, basically, I'll just leave it at that, assaulting someone else for this. I think, well, again, innocent until proven guilty, but Don Lemon's not a good dude. He is not a good person to have on TV. And the challenge, I guess, is do we just accept that CNN is a garbage bin network and the things Don Lemon is accused of are overly egregious, but so far they're just accusations. And what he was doing with Jesse Smollett and having to report on this, they should never have done that. I kind of feel like with Don Lemon, it's grains of sand making a heap. Like when Don Lemon was like, you know, could the missing Malaysian airline have been sucked into a black hole? I know it's preposterous, but is it preposterous? Yes, Don, it is. Shut up. That's stupid. Hey, hey, but that's CNN. This is the garbage bin network. Do I think I think I have their ratings? Let's all gloat in their terrible ratings. This is mind blowing to me. Look, you guys get it with Chris Cuomo and everything he's done. Why would anybody want to watch him? Apparently they did. With Don Lemon and all the dumb things he said, people still want to watch him. But check this out first. Let me start with the total viewers live and uh, plus SD. And this is for Wednesday, December 1st. I chose Wednesday because I think Wednesday, you know, hump day is the right day. You do Thursday. Well, people are kind of tuning out. You do Friday. Everyone's out partying Saturday and Sunday weekend. Mm, Let's get a good. What's a good day? Wednesday. This is when people are active middle of the week watching the news and take a look at this. You've got Don Lemon with 711,000 viewers. You've got at 11 p.m. Don Lemon with 462,000 viewers. The crazy thing is, at the same time, O'Donnell's got 1.4 million. Williams has 1 million. Gutfeld has just about 2 million. Laura Ingram has 2.5 million. Amazing. 
when Tucker Carlson is on, this is the best part. When Timcast IRL is live and uh, we get between live and on demand viewership at the in the in the couple of hours, we'll get, you know, 350 to maybe half a million in terms of our audience. And Anderson Cooper's getting 911,000. Man, that's a lot of people. How is CNN doing so well in the ratings? Well, Tucker Carlson gets 3.58 million. I don't know how we're supposed to compete with Tucker Carlson, but to, hey, but hey, everybody who watches us, you guys rock. I really, really do appreciate it. But uh, to be fair, this isn't key demo. Take a look at this. CNN, the key demographic, 25 to 54. Don Lemon gets 165,000 viewers at 10 and 118,000 at 11. And wow, is that bad? I mean, look at MSNBC as well. O'Donnell only gets 1.6. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 160,000. And Williams, Williams gets 130. MSNBC absolutely killing it in the older than 50, 55 and older crowd. Take a look at this. Tucker Carlson is getting 615,000 viewers in the key demo. Man, we're close. And that's surprising to me. I just kind of turn the camera on and talk, but we have good guests. We are going to have Steve Bannon on tonight. So you don't want to miss this one. That's right. Steve Bannon will be hanging out. We're going to be talking a lot about what's going on with these these misdemeanor charges. The misdemeanors from hell should be fascinating. But uh, I got to say, I'm eternally grateful to everybody because we're, 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 this gives me hope. This gives me optimism. And I'll, and I'll tell you this, it's a weird feeling because I certainly don't understand the other side of the camera. I have a camera right in front of me. I see this little circle and I talk at it and I I express myself. I talk about my feelings. We hang out in a room and that's all we've done since we've started. We've pulled up news. We've talked about it. We've we've done our best to make sure it's right. We've hired fact checkers and journalists. So I think we're doing a good job, but we're just doing our thing. It's always just been doing our thing and more and more people watch. And it's weird to go out and have people be like, man, I watch your show every night. We don't have any big corporate backers. We don't have billionaires throwing money at us. We are just a bunch of people who turned the camera on and slowly started building it up. And that to me, optimism, hope, the white pill, as it were. Tucker Carlson's got the resources of Fox News. You know, Sean Hannity, 521,000. We're doing, we, we get comparable to Gutfeld and Ingram. We, we rival them in terms of our total two-hour viewership. But to be fair, you combine our VOD with reruns, and we're absolutely doing more than that. To be fair, however, I, I believe Carlson does uh, air a rerun as well. So look, they all are getting a lot more views than us. And this is TV. You put them on YouTube and they're in the millions of views. So we, we don't really rival them in that capacity. But it is a, a lot to say that in our live show, which is comparable to what these networks are doing, things are changing, man. Things are absolutely changing. I think what's going on with, uh, with CNN and these scandals just shows that it's a downward spiral. It's a downward spiral. Now, l- l- let me show you a little bit of this, and then we'll talk about what's going on with the president of CNN and why I think the whole network is rotten to the core and may be crumbling. Hampton's bartender, who is suing Don Lemon for assault, brands CNN a predator-protecting machine rife with perverts and reveals he was offered half a, half a million dollars to settle. Did he say no to that? Half a million dollars, dude. I mean, you got to pay tax on it. Then you get like 300 and something, 320,000 maybe. And buy yourself a house or put it in a good investment account or something. A bartender who claims Don Lemon, oh man, assaulted him in a very adult way, has said the news network is a predator protecting menace. 
He filed his lawsuit against Lemon 55 in August 2019, alleging that the CNN star assaulted him at the Hamptons bar. Lemon denies the allegations. I don't believe Don Lemon at all for one second. This guy was offered half a million dollars. If he was making it up, he'd be like, thanks for the free money. He's like, no. Lemon will have to testify under oath in the near future, but it's good to see that there's finally some accountability, ha- accountability happening. Can you, can you imagine what's going to happen when Don Lemon has to, is, is going to be deposed and they're going to ask him, did you take your hand and uh-uh. oof. So far, CNN is standing by Lemon, similar to how the network backed its former anchor Chris Cuomo until revelations from the New York Attorney General's office forced them to take action. This is the evidence of <sighs> malfeasance a lack of morals and ethics. Chris Cuomo claims CNN boss Jeff Zucker knew about the involvement in the scandal. And the only reason they fired this scumbag is because the AG released evidence to the public that Chris Cuomo is a piece of trash scumbag. But we knew that when he staged his quarantine, when he comes out of the basement, like, look at me, everybody. Ah, finally, the fresh air. We know you left your home. We know you lied and you got called out. And got into it with some guy. He was like, aren't you supposed to be in quarantine? And he was like, who are you? And then Cuomo goes on a serious show and basically admits it because he is a bad person. He is a bad person. He goes on primetime cable and lies. And Zucker knows. And Zucker's in on it because CNN is reality TV garbage. And now I have to deal with the stupid crackpot bullish that they jam into people's brains People like Brian Stelter, Oliver Darcy, Oliver Darcy, you know, putting out a statement about the right wing echo chamber. And I said, it must be so difficult for Oliver when he gets ready for work, having never had access to a mirror before. I'll be the first to say, I understand we all have our opinions and our perspectives. And that means if there's people who consistently come to us for information, they're going to be getting a lot of that same information and confirmation bias. I absolutely get it. But I got no problem pointing that out at the very least. And I think it's important to know you watch me, you're going to hear my perspective. I'm one dude. I'm not a major network. The difference between what I do and what they do is that Jeff Zucker is looking at all of these employees and he's like, we want a narrative that fits X. And you know what we do here at Timcast? I do not tell any of the people in the the editorial department what to write. At at the most, what I do is I'll see a story and I'll just I'll post it to Slack, our internal communications, because I think it's interesting. Sometimes they write it up. Typically they do, but I don't tell them what to write about. I just say, hey, look at this story. This is interesting. Often there's a lot of original reporting and on the ground stuff. I don't tell them what to ask or what to say. There's no top down narrative about what we're supposed to be doing. It's literally just guys report the news. What you see, what you think, what, what is interesting, what is important, what affects people. What do we do on this show? I am but one person. CNN. It's a network. See, the reason Jeff Zucker probably didn't fire Cuomo is because they're all in on it. Zucker knows he's making reality TV. He literally made reality TV for NBC, The Apprentice. Pretty sure it was The Apprentice with Trump. With Trump. So he joined CNN. And he helps turn the most trusted name in news into reality TV garbage. It was supposed to be late night news and commentary. Now it is just blowhard opinionated idiots like Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo. And Cuomo has been fired. And Don Lemon, boy, is he just terrible at his job. What was it? A couple of years ago, he was voted like the worst journalist of the year or something like that. Look, 
I understand we do an opinion show. We do a news talk show. We do political, cultural commentary, all that stuff. It's not too dissimilar, but we're not pretending to be the most trusted name in news. If you like what we write over at TimCast.com, become a member, help support our work. But there's no top down president telling everybody we have a narrative. We have a message. We have an audience. We're just like, hey, man, write the news. If you build it, they will come. I know it's if you, if you build it, he will come. But if you build it, they will come. They will come. And what I, the, the way I see it is we are going to invest in doing the news the right way. And that is hiring good people, fact checking. We are going to be launching our fact checking nonprofit. It, it is already up and running. But, you know, in order to get it going in terms of tax purposes, it'll be in the, uh, uh, in the new year. It's a, it's a 501c3 nonprofit, which means its finances are going to be publicly available. And this is the outlet that's going to do fact checking for us and fact checking other outlets. And what will happen is for TimCast.com, we're going to write the news we think is important. Top mainstream stories, cultural issues, foreign policy. I'm just going to report the news. And I believe truly two things. Over a long enough period of time, you will eventually build an audience that is interested in what you write. We will not pander to any group of people to try and attract viewers. But more importantly, that if we just do good work, we will fill that vacuum with all of the media turning into garbage, rage bait, trash. If we just report things that we think matter, then we'll build an audience and we'll also fill that void, resulting in people saying, I'm going to come here instead. We have a story. It's uh, from a few months from a couple months ago, and it's Dollar General expanding rapidly across rural areas. Not rage bait, not the most, you know, craziest political story, but something that we at Timcast just thought was newsworthy and interesting. And it is, especially for someone who lives in a rural area and you see the massive expansion, explosion of the Dollar General stores. You'll be like, wow, take a look at this. This is sweeping rural areas. Hey, industry is expanding. And you'll probably just click on it, read and go, huh, how about that? And you'll, you'll move on. And we have other stories like that because the goal of TimCast.com is not to just rage bait trash like Cuomo and Lemon. And I'll tell you this, because I've often said I do see an issue. With my with the channels I with with the content I produce here and and my main channel Timcast, because I can only do so many videos per day. So over at Timcast, I'm like, what do I think is the biggest story per day? And I do it, and then people are like, all you ever talk about is how much you don't like the Democrats, and I'm like, well, you know, I really don't. But it is bad if people are only getting their information from me when the one story I put up per day is just about why I don't like the political establishment, namely the Democrats. And so I'm like, we need to make sure we're doing news right. So let's launch TimCast.com. Let's put a ton of money and resources behind this. And, it's, and, and then we're going to have a nonprofit fact checking. So all of these uh, ridiculous leftists who cheer for CNN, who are like Tim's grifting, it's like, oh, grifting and giving away money to a, through our nonprofit to hire people to do good work. You know, it'd be the easiest thing in the world, not doing any of this and just making the YouTube videos and taking the money. But that's not what I believe in. I believe that CNN is poison. It's poisoning the minds of people across this country. And it's not just CNN. It's MSNBC. It's all of these mainstream garbage news outlets that pump out lies every single day. And you know what makes me feel? You know what I feel inside watching this stuff? I'm like, these people need to stop. But at the very least, if they're going to be vomiting all over my floor, I'm going to go try and clean up as much as I can. When I see what they do and the lies, it makes me want to get up and get to work and start cleaning because I've watched them lie for decades. Since I was a kid, media was full of garbage, just trash. And this is it. Don Lemon, Chris Cuomo, Jeff Zucker, they're amoral, awful people. Brian Stelter too. Brian Stelter is one of the worst 
He, he, he has no ability to do any research, and he probably doesn't. He just sits there and he regurgitates just half-baked, un, unfact-checked, without doing any research, garbage. He goes on his show and he says things like, don't watch Fox News. They're the propaganda. Yeah, that's how you know someone's trying to lie to you when they say, don't go talk to anyone else. That's what cults do. Do you know what you know? You know what people do when they're trying to break you out of a cult? They say, "Don't just talk to me. Talk to other people. Check out Elijah Schaefer and Sidney Watson's show. You are here. Check out Louder with Crowder, Sticks Hexenhammer. Watch Kyle Kalinsky and Jimmy Dore. Make sure you're getting an eclectic bunch when you're consuming media information here. Other perspectives and stories we may not be able to cover properly. Let me tell you why YouTube as a com- well, YouTube as a company is bad, but the but the platform, the ecosystem is good." You turn on CNN, you get a Jeff Zucker who knows what's going on. Paramount scumbaggery. These companies tell them, this is the narrative we want to drive. So what does CNN do? Orange man bad. Shall we go and cover protests on the ground and tell America what's happening? No, let's do a panel on why the orange man is bad. Take a look at YouTube. You come to YouTube and sure, there's an algorithm, but you get a network of news and political commentary where it's like Steven Crowder talking about guns and talking about the election. You get Kyle Kalinske talking about uh, not wanting woke politicians or advocating for universal health care and railing against private insurance companies. You get uh, Elijah Schaefer and Sidney Watson, and they have complex discussions and bring on some, uh, we'll just say controversial guests. They had Kyle Rittenhouse on the other day. I mean, hitting it out of the park, guys. You have a bunch of different perspectives, and you can get all of this on one platform. But if you choose to go to CNN.com, you will get regurgitated garbage from scumbags who are manipulating you in a desperate bid to retain what little power they have left. The Airport Hotel News Network. Yeah, well, they got booted from the airports. That deal is over. And now what do they have? Oh, YouTube puts them on the front page and everybody hates it. So, yeah. There's nothing infuriates me more, man, than, than, you know, hearing someone say to me some crackpot lie. There, there was no investigation into Burisma. That's not true. There was no quid pro quo with Biden. Because of CNN. Because of people like Brian Stelter. Americans believe lies. And you know what? The dude gloats in it. He, re- he revels in it. I, everything I pull up cites corporate mainstream press. And I have to fact check and dig through and check sources before I decide to use them. And that means sometimes they are still wrong because I know these networks are wrong, but they get things right. I've got to sift through fields of feces to try and find what, 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 you know, that, that whole kernel of corn they crapped out because CNN is just vomit all over the floor. And if you dig deep enough, eventually you'll find a whole sandwich in there somewhere. It's gross. Yeah, I know. But this is what it is, digging through the media. It's seeing how often they lie or manipulate. In fact, the other day, I, I, said, I criticized, uh, you know, offered up some critique. The post-millennial said that an EU uh, chief lady was, was uh, advocating, for, uh, calling for the end of the Nuremberg Code. She never said such a thing. It was just hyperbole. And I have no problem saying, post-millennial, you guys, you got that one wrong. It's too exaggerated. The framing is bad. Fix it. I'll call out anybody who needs to be called out. I'll call out Donald Trump when a witness on the stand in the Maxwell trial says he was flying on that plane along with Epstein. And uh, yeah, anyone who should be called out should be called out. That includes me. And I, I got no problem saying it. You know, I don't I don't care for the elites 
and the power hungry crackpots. And I have met people on the right as well who are like, I got to figure out a way to just monetize and make money off all of this. And that's never what I've done. I've always just been like, you know, this all started with me having a Patreon and just getting a couple grand a month to make videos and be like, here's what I think. Here's how I feel. And then eventually more and more people signed up and donated and it got more views. And I was like, let's keep doing more. The media is on is a flame. And there's a lot of good things about that. But these people are evil, in my opinion, It is the banality of evil, the commonplace nature of people like Cuomo and Lemon to lie, cheat and steal. And this is what emboldens people like Smollett to stage this trash, which is ruining the fabric of our planet, of our civilization. Rant over. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. at youtube.com slash Timcast. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see y'all then.